0: Welcome to Eurovision Song Context, the podcast that tries to get to the bottom of what makes an ESC submission successful. Why do we love the submissions we do? And what do they say about us? I'm Bradley, and I'm joined today by Mike and Ben from the Euro What podcast. They've just given a presentation on the Eurovision that wasn't in 2020, among other topics, at PopCon 2023. We'll talk about experiencing Eurovision during the pandemic, and how fans emerged. Then we'll chat about some iconic submissions from 1968, 2012, 2022, and 2023, including Valentina Moneta, Dubrovacchi Trubaduri, Constructa, Hatari, Kaya, and Laureen. Now more than ever, check out the links to this episode in your podcast description or the show notes, at Eurovision Song Context. Fireside. FM. Welcome, Mike. Welcome, Ben, from the Euro What. Thanks.
1: Hello. Howdy. Thanks for having us.
0: No, really excited about it. You too, have just been to PopCon. Tell us what PopCon is.
1: Sure. So, uh, PopCon is an annual conference that brings together writers, scholars, journalists, critics. Industry professionals, really anybody who has any sort of association with music uh, for a weekend of panels and roundtables and talks uh, all related to a particular theme. Uh, So, for example, this year's theme uh, was called Let's Get It Together, Gatherings, Club Cultures, Uh Parties and Beyond. And, yeah, it was just a collection of events that were all related to that theme and like wide ranging uh, interpretations of that theme
2: yeah yeah like you had things that were very on theme and like were 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 us just like because like our pitch was like very much okay we can we can respond to this theme and look at it through your vision lens but there were like a few things where you're like okay this is just a paper that you're working on and you have found the exact atom of club culture to make this fit
0: Oh, yeah, I get that. Now, have you both been there, um, I suppose, Mike, first? Have you have you both been to
1: PopCon or was this just like you just decided to up and do it? Uh, this was my first time. Uh, I, I was aware of the event uh, from a couple of years ago. Uh, one of our guests uh, on the show, Ned Raggett, uh, kind of put the bug in our ear uh, saying that because uh, he is he presented at PopCon a few times and has uh, been in attendance as well. Uh, it is an event that is open to the public. And, uh, yeah, he put the bug in our ear to consider submitting to possibly present uh, at a future PopCon. And, uh, yeah, we we lucked out this year. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like it's very similar in my end. It's like Ned kind of put it on my radar, although I have another music journalist friend, Maura Johnston, who I believe may have like has definitely been there. Uh, I'm not sure if she has presented or not. It would not surprise me if she had. Where it's been something I've been aware of and like, especially during the pandemic, it was like an online thing where I think I would always just like find out too late when it was already like midway through happening to actually check it out. So it's been on my radar. And like when I saw the the theme get announced, like last fall, I pinged Mike was like, OK, I think we could, I think we could do this.
0: And it's in Brooklyn. So that's, you know, an amazing an amazing environment to be in for music.
2: Yeah, no. And like the I had not been to the Clive Davis Institute before, which is where it takes place. Now So like an offshoot of NYU that's over in Brooklyn. So. Mm.
0: Yeah, you really lucked out with the theme as well. It's like, you know, you want to do a TED talk and the TED theme is like yep, right up your street for that year. Do you know what I mean? Because there's the venue yeah. and then there's the, the topic, I suppose, as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like this has been sort of the 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 joke on Twitter of like, what are you completely prepared to do a talk on with like no preparation? It's just like, yes, I'm ready. To, I am ready to go. Uh, but yeah, like the I think PopCon being in Brooklyn is fairly recent. Like I know previously they were at in Seattle at MoPop, which is this very strange museum that is essentially just like one of the people who has a lot of money at Microsoft's like place where they store all of their weird collections of guitars, essentially. Hmm. It's 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 just like a really strange hodgepodge of things. So like PopCon was there and like knowing its music connection, because I believe before before like this museum of pop culture thing that it became, it was like the experience music project or something. It's always had like a music tie in. I believe next year they're going to be kind of shifting over to the West Coast. I I assume like they want to have this sort of like go back and forth, you know, because that way. All of the West Coast music people aren't always having to go over to the East Coast. All the East Coast people aren't always having to go over to the West Coast.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. I I mean, I don't. I'm I'm not. I don't know. I'm not enamored with. As somebody who used to live in LA, I'm not um, a massive fan. But hey ho. I
2: I'm also not a California person, so (laughs) it's just for a weekend. So (laughs) yeah,
0: (laughs) fair enough. Yeah, right. Yeah, we don't have to live there. Um, I'm looking at some of the the talks that were given so uh, crowds and power what makes the masses stand up or sit down oral dispersals geography culture and musical communities writing on raving brooklyn's queer and trans rave scene a field report that's nice it sounds like you know it's delightful uh divas to the dance floor please performance aesthetics and iconicity so you know what given that that's, you know, your comp- competition. I don't want to make it sound like that. It's not a competition. Uh, but given that, you know, your speech was Go ahead, drum roll please.
2: Yeah, just uh, let's discotech inside my home, uh, Eurovision and the and the pandemic and and learning to open up again. Aww. I think I've hit all, I think I've hit all the the bullet points. In yep. the title,
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, it is definitely an environment where it, it, there is a colon in every single title.
2: So <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's just like I am I am not an academic, but like I, I know what I know what those paper titles are supposed to look like is like you have like the fun contemporary pop culture reference and then you have here's what my paper is secretly about in an, in an academic name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I, I like, I want a footnote, you know, where you get, where you read through the paper and it's got like a third of the paper is paper and two thirds is just footnote, mm-hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm getting that from some of these. How did, like, how did it go? Tell me about it. Tell me about disc attacking at home.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess like with, uh, in the context of the conference, uh, it, it was a different style of presentation and, and there were multiple, uh, presentation formats. Uh, there were a number yeah. of panels where it was uh, usually a collection of uh, academics, uh, so three to four people reading a paper that was probably like seven to 10 pages and then uh, kind of expounding on their topic and answering any questions that the audience had. And they were all papers related to the same sort of general topics, uh, similar to the ones that you had uh, just listed off. Um, But uh, there was other presentations that were more uh, conversation based. There was a presentation style uh, known as uh, critical karaoke, where uh, there was the topic (laughs) and you were invited to select a song that is related to that topic. And you can present a paper, an essay, whatever, but it has to it cannot be longer than the length of the song that you have selected. And uh, one of the main events uh, during the weekend was a track by track listen through of Beyonce's Renaissance uh, with uh, Mm. each track having somebody presenting uh, a response, an essay, something related to that track. It it was a really cool way to listen to the album.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because you had not listened to that album in Mm -hmm. full until until that, uh, whereas I was very familiar with just like getting to see a bunch of like music writer people that i know of and whose work i really like like just seeing ann powers who has done really oh, yeah. really ann good powers writing is
0: amazing
2: yeah, yeah. who's great yeah. and just dive into beyonce's cozy by just defining the layers of of what skin is made up of as a way of like getting into being cozy in your own skin
0: wow yeah i think ann powers did that um top 100 of female artists a while ago i think she worked on that project she's great um, and I noticed that uh, this won't mean a lot to Europeans listening, but Jody Rosen and also Chris Malamfy. So that's really a star-studded um, mega event of people that write really well-thought-out musical criticism.
1: Yeah, that, that was one of the fun parts of the weekend is we got to kind of geek out and uh, fanboy a little bit <laughs> with, with some of the guests. We, we did get to hang out with uh, Chris <laughs> Malamfy, uh for a good chunk of the weekend. Wow.
2: So, um
0: yeah, You got to hang out with Chris Malanfi for a good oh, yeah. chunk we got of got weekend. We got to have
2: lunch multiple times with Chris Malanfi.
0: Oh, man, I don't think I would have been able to. I know. I... Like, I, like,
2: one thing I did not expect to come out of doing Popcom was that, like, uh, I am now connected with Chris Malanfi on social media. And, like, he was like, hello, it is your birthday. Here is the song I think that was number one when you were born. I'm like, yes, it is Rick Astley. Aww. no. <laughs> I'm like, yes, no, no. Like the number one song in America when I was born. Did you was get, Rick are, you,
0: are you basically trying to tell me you got Rick rolled by Chris Malamphy?
2: <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, is I, that basically
0: what just happened? I was, no, was, ri- was
2: Rick rolled by the universe. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: okay.
2: Like, to, like specifically together forever was the number one song. And like, honestly, that specific slice where America said, OK, we will allow stock Aiken Waterman one hit and then be done with it explains a lot about me as a person.
0: Oh, I think I would be crushed because I think the song that was number one when I was born, so no, not running away from middle age, was um, the Grease soundtrack. Okay. Um, And if you look at if you look at like the other whatever the other list is, it's going to be something by ABBA or something not by ABBA, but the Bee Gees. Mm. So yeah, I'm not loving the BG's or uh, or Greece. So no, just no. Uh, like, yeah. No. If, if Chris Malanfi then had to be the person to tell me that I think I would be crushed. Oh. Just crushed. I don't think I'd be just yeah, please. Um, yeah, no, I'd I'd probably cry. Uh but that's delightful. That's delightful that you've made um, you know, friends for Europeans listening um who we we just went down a a different, you know, a different track. Uh Those are some amazing, amazing, amazing music journalists, all three, um, really worth following up on. Did the people that came to see you, um, how big was the crowd considering that, um, you know, Eurovision? How many Eurovision fans were there? I, I saw you sent me this massive slide deck. It was very impressive, 160 something slides, sumptuous. If I can include it in the show notes, I will. Positively amazing, some just delightful images um in super hd very short on
2: text but that's fine well yeah please make a
0: coffee table book out of your (laughs) out of your slide deck that's what i'm saying a large format coffee table book that's what we want that was
2: all bad (laughs) like from yeah like yeah from from our side so like mike was saying so a lot of the weekend was structured around these panels where each panel had three or four presenters each presenter is doing like seven to like nine single space pages of here's what i'm working on or here's what i thought of in response to this topic we were billed as a roundtable, and it was very strange to me because the members of that roundtable were me, Ben Smith, and then my podcast co-host, Michael Combe, end of list of panelists. So It's like, OK, so it's less of sort of point counterpoint and more point also point. Uh, so as long as we had been and like we had been given. Like we did not have to share our time slot with anybody. Like there were a couple of things happening at the same time as our presentation. So people had their choice of what to go to at 11. What yeah. At like 11 in the morning on Sunday of the, of the conference. But we essentially had an hour and 45 minutes at our disposal to kind of do what we wanted to with it. So like, okay, cool. Let's just, let's go deep in the areas we want to go deep. And then. We had had the idea from the start of of like, as long as we were doing this, we should record it and put it out as an episode somehow. So we wanted to make sure that what we were releasing was something where we wanted to have visuals because the two of us talking for an hour and 45 minutes needs something to be engaging in the background. Everybody had slides. And it was just the idea of, OK, what can we do that will enhance what we're talking about and illustrate what we're talking about without being anything that we that for the most part, we can't also include back in whatever recorded format this takes.
0: Yeah, excellent. I'm going to take a leap and assume that some people knew what Eurovision is, because they, they must be people that like music quite a lot and like live music quite a lot. And maybe, I don't know, are they yes, no?
2: Yeah, well, yeah. And like there was a session right on Friday of the conference where I saw that somebody was presenting on Georgia's fail like entry from 2009 that didn't ultimately make the contest we don't want to put in it was like well i'm going to be there right away first thing on friday morning is i want to know what this like somebody is presenting on the on the nation of georgia at eurovision i hello (laughs) we should chat and like that was great so like i knew that there was some level but also like that helped inform how we pitched our presentation is let's not assume that everybody coming to the room has seen the contest or understands it outside of sort of the Reputation it had kind of in the mid two thousands as,
0: hmm. I mean that's that's great because uh you know I lived in Britain for six years and kept trying to sell it to people as like not what happened in the nineteen nineties so you know it's nice to know that the uh, New York American benchmark is like ten to fifteen years ahead of the
2: English. I mean one. maybe like I just, like I also just like don't know like like I think people are familiar with Eurovision especially now in the wake of the Will Ferrell movie. Yeah. But they may still only think it's a thing from that one Will Ferrell movie and not realize it's an event that has like a whole 65-year history.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um so Ben, give us an overview of of the at-home part, yeah, like discothecking at home, like the the premise, if you will, your thesis, your novel thesis statement, yeah.
2: Yeah, is is like so in 2020, the Eurovision Song Contest was cancelled for the first time in its history. We wanted to take a look at like just sort of the lead up to that and all of what that felt like. We wanted to talk about sort of the, what fans and fan media and people like Rob Holly and Eurovision again did to sort of keep the momentum going so that as the EBU behind the scenes was trying to figure out, OK, how do we come back? Uh, Just sort of kept up the momentum and sort of. I I think we also kind of talk about just sort of like how all that sort of helped catalyze what already seemed to be happening in terms of streaming availability, in terms of a couple other factors of where the contest was already starting to get picked up into wider being seen by a wider audience and sort of like the success it has had sort of once it did come back of looking at things like monoskin, looking at things like Rosalyn.
1: Mike, do you want to throw anything in? I think Ben pretty much covered it, but also kind of doing a little bit of a compare and contrast of what quote-unquote normal eurovision was prior to the pandemic and how 2021 was kind of bizarro eurovision or like a funhouse mirror version of the contest and seeing Mm. how those two how so um well the way that we structured our talk uh we kind of hit some of the highlights of what a selection season looks like. So talking about Albania uh, in the contest and how Festival League Congress is usually the first selection that happens in a given year and receives outsized attention from uh, the fandom just because it's the only thing that's happening in December and how uh, in uh, December of 2020, the changes that that competition had to make in order to exist and how those changes like at that festival in particular, but then at other competitions such as uh, San Remo, Melody Festival in um, and like what what changes were made to adapt for that one year and has since carried through into other years A kind of more like long term planning that has uh, taken place to ensure that the contest happens should it need to be reach a point where it may need to be canceled again.
0: Oh, that's an interesting thought. I'd, I suppose I'd never, I suppose that's very sad, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, and and that, that was the thing. Yeah, I mean, like 2020, like that was devastating for a lot of people that the contest was canceled. But the fandom was able to come together to at least either recreate the contest or at least keep the activities associated with being a fan of the contest still happening or adapted or creating something new like there was a lot of creativity that was happening during 2020 and 2021 as well in terms of like how can we do these things that are online, like completely online mostly on social media and still be a fandom and get that social outlet that i guess people would say you would take for granted uh until the situation presented itself it's like oh yeah
2: yeah, well and like I think one thing that I had not thought of as sort of tying in with the at my home thing but absolutely ties in having now delivered the talk and listened to like the rough cut of the episode is we also like it's really weird having access to essentially an archive of like where like cuz like we have the the week by week of our show from that time so it's like yeah. we should go back and listen to those episodes.
1: It's, yeah, I guess, it's, it's really a time weird to have, capsule, like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, to have a
2: time capsule. Of, like, here's where I was at mentally three years ago. Uh, let's take a look at that now. So, like, there's there's diving into that, because, like, literally the last major bit of travel I did before lockdown in the States was flying out for a trivia thing that was happening in Chicago, and, like, Mike and I recorded a live episode. where, Well, a live episode for us, which is we are in the same physical space.
0: Yeah. I mean, this brings up so many... Topics, I guess, really. First, for listeners, please definitely listen to the Euro What, especially around selection season, because I don't know anybody who does a better job, who's better researched around selection season than you two. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. So um, oh, these things I just, like, never think about. Thank heavens I don't have to think about, you know, selection season. Like, maximum, I think about San Remo, and then I, I just couldn't wake up. There's just something about how you get slammed with it, you know. I... I Yeah. Yeah. No better
2: (laughs) I have seen, I've seen, I've seen our Google Calendar. I've, I've had those discussions, like, of like, okay, who is going to cover Denmark this year?
0: I think I couldn't be interested. I think my attention span is too short to kind of sustain the. I mean, you know, could I show up? Yes. Could I be interested? I don't know. I think I'd fall off at some point. I think I'd just fall off in the middle of one of those selections. Well, yeah, and like
2: totally, and like one of the things we talk about, just sort of in talking about who the audience for Eurovision is, is just sort of you have those different levels of fandom. We always say Eurovision is a big tent. Uh, is like you have the people like Mike and I who are following this on a week by week basis and producing a weekly a weekly podcast about all of this stuff. But you also have people who just show up for the big contest and maybe they're the semifinal their nation's a part of. They are they are welcome too. you have the people who have three very specific semifinal processes, uh, national final processes that they love. And that's what they show up for. And they're good. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's space uh. for all of us.
0: Yeah. You know, I spoke with a little girl last week that opened semifinal one, sorry, last month that opened semifinal one, uh, Angelina, you know, that was the first time that this, the semifinals were broadcast on BBC one, as opposed mm-hmm. to BBC four. So you can see more people getting into those semifinals, you know, that are kind of willing to watch Eurovision over multiple days, which is really heartening. But I suppose I would ask you both, do you think that there's a difference between Eurovision and other, let's say festivals or live music events? Um, you know, like this event had a lot, the PopCon had a lot about, you know, going to the club or whatever else. And I just think about Eurovision as being a different communal live event if you go live than other events. And I don't know what makes it so different. I don't know if it's the scale of it or whatever else or the fan base, but it just is different. I mean, do you do, do you find that, Mike?
1: I definitely find that. I mean, I think one of the, the thing that I love most about Eurovision is no matter what you are a nerd about, there is probably an entry point into the contest that reflects that nerddom like if you are really into electoral politics you get all of the voting at the end of the show <laughs> if you're into like ge- geopolitics or geography or flags like there's all of that yeah vexillology i was going to say the vexillology fans in the room right yeah. or like if you just Big if you just enjoy pop music if you enjoy reality competition shows if you like th- there are just so many different entry points into the contest and everybody is welcome and like really your vision I think is a sport or at least it is presented as a sport or uh, or like a higher level of competition than like a card game. And
2: yeah, yes. Yeah, because like literally like when we when we have sort of had discussions about, okay, what else should we be doing as a podcast? One of the spaces that I keep actually needing to listen to other things in this space. But the place where I'm like, you know, we should look at we should look at sports podcasts. Because we're not that far off. At least, like, during the on season, like, we're like, He's it's, on it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, during, yeah, during the on season from January. Yeah, like, that's I how we talk about dad. the show is like, we, like, right now we are in our off season because we are not actively trying to keep track of like 37 different processes. But yeah, no, during, like, I, I explain our show when I, when I do like the little elevator pitch version of our show at podcast stuff locally. I'm like, during the on season from January to May, we are weekly and we are following selections, we are following sort of the all of the other stuff that happens around that. And then in the off season, we get to like, dive into just sort of all of the cool history and stuff. But yeah, no, it's like, it's not that far off from like a podcast about baseball.
0: I mean, this is a tangent, so I'm not going to like, I'm, I'm well, I'm going to dive off and try to save myself. Um, but you know, um, if you're a linguist and you want to hear uh, authentic accents, mm-hmm. you can go to two places. You can go to garage like a local mechanic. You know, to hear the most authentic Bostonian accent, go to the middle of Boston and then find, you know, like yeah, go, a mechanic go to Southie. That's it. and then find a mechanic and tape that person. And that's, you know, the most. But the second place you can go is um, sports broadcasting and normally radio sports broadcasting, because people really like to hear because people feel such a personal attachment to whoever their team is. Um, you know, you want to hear a local person. So, I mean, that's I think that's what I'm going to be expecting next. I don't know, like some uh, if, if you're the Eurovision sports cast, I'm going to be wanting to hear some just some like authentic Europeanness out of your voice. I mean, I want a, a, something I don't know. Can you
1: do
2: German? I mean, uh, Can you I mean, be the most German
0: uh, German or the most, you know, I mean, Portuguese, on the other hand, as an American, American person, Eurovision know.
2: podcast, we are bringing that beautiful, crisp Midwestern nothing accent that you want to a newscaster. <laughs>
0: Oh, that is also true. Yeah, a national newscaster, a national yeah. newscaster, a national newscaster. Yeah, and you and a lot of you know Midwestern references as well, but also Midwestern kindness. You know, um, like I think about now Eurovision, I I do give the off reference to the county fair. You know, which I do wonder when people listen to your I'm like, did people? I know what they're talking about. Do people know? Do people know what uh, we're talking you know, just,
2: about? Well, just thinking about Midwestern kindness. Like at this point, yeah, no, it was, it was 2021 because it was it was James Newman. Uh, we got some somebody reached out via Twitter from like a UK broadcaster that we did, like the short version of the story is that we should have done. I should have done like one more Google on them. Uh, but they're like we would like they were looking for somebody to like come on their morning show and just be the the Eurovision person to ask. And like I was like, OK, can we do a pre tape? Because that is like one in the morning, my time. And they said no. And I was like, cool, I will stay up until one in the morning again. In hindsight, no, this is Danger Will Robinson, Danger Will Robinson. No, Anyways, this sounds they, like
0: it, it could deliciously this, go either really well or, okay, or really badly. Okay, so this was badly. a UK
2: broadcaster, and this was before, uh, before Spaceman. So we had a very specific national attitude we were looking to uphold, and they were not expecting my Ted Lasso, <laughs> I'm just here, I think everybody's doing a great job, energy.
0: Well, that's because there's another brand out there of of Eurovision, of American Eurovision um, You know, there's Mm -hmm. another American franchise out there that is often on the BBC that provides a more um, polarizing viewpoint on the BBC. Just just throwing it out there. Mm -hmm. I tried to convince single handedly the radio station here in um, Fun Fact Charleston, South Carolina, uh, briefly the home of Edgar Mm -hmm. Allan Poe, to get Taya and Selena on the radio like like I was Parked up that radio station going like, you must play this. And I just like want everyone in Charleston, like, you know, texting in their votes. But that did not work. So yet again, maybe next year,
2: no. maybe next year. <laughs> it, it, t- it takes time. Uh, but to go back to the question on how Eurovision compares to like other music stuff, just say like, somebody who has gone to both locally. There is a festival that happens yearly in Boston called Boston Calling. So just thinking about in comparison to like actual music festival, music festivals. I've been to Boston calling and then a couple years ago I went to Iceland Airways, which takes place over like three days across a handful of venues in Reykjavik like your Eurovision. The event itself is very different because like everything like all of the acts are happening during the same show. But like going to the Euro Village this year, that felt very much like my experience at Boston calling of just like it's like the stages over there and there's like a bunch of local acts and like everybody gets like their are they dedicated like 20, 25 minutes of set time. And there's a bunch of food vendors over here and there's a bunch of other cultural stuff happening. And like the event itself feels very different. Cause again, like it, like the, the main draw is like everybody has their three minutes and we are going to very quickly go through all of them, but sort of the community around it, especially during the two weeks when it takes over wherever it is, like feels very much like what I've seen at other music festivals.
0: Would you hang out with those people throughout the rest of the year?
2: Uh, yeah. Like I, I think like just like from the, I like Mike, I, you can probably speak to this more than I can just because you have been to more Eurovisions between the two of us. But like, no, like I feel like the, especially on my side this year, the people like, so I traveled and split accommodations, whatever, whatnot with, uh, with the team over at 12 points from America, another us based podcast where they're also Minnesotans. So it was just like very weird to have like six Minnesotans under one roof.
0: Oh, I would love <laughs> to hang out with six Minnesotans. Oh for, yeah. No, we, for, we were for... having, we,
2: for your yeah. vision, we were having a great time. Uh, and for but- listeners
0: that have really have no idea what we're talking about, um, I am not going to do a Minnesota accent, but they are delightful. Definitely YouTube that, so I don't oh, insult yeah, no, anyone. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, no. If you watch the TV series Fargo, I was very impressed for a season when Martin Freeman, who is you know is Ford Prefect and is like, more importantly, like uh, Watson from Sherlock, so just very British, just nailing the upper Minnesotan accent.
0: Martin Freeman's very good. Yes, very
2: good. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, like would I would I hang out with these people. Yes. Just sort of like everybody like because like Sam from 12 points from America has been doing Eurovision related things for like a decade now. And she just knows everybody. And she's one of those people just because of that Minnesotan warmth. We'll just see someone across the room. It's like, it's you. And just like so just like everybody I just sort of met around that. And especially like a bunch of the people that we've had on the show where it's just like, hello, we are both in the same physical space at the same time, like the Aussie vision guys.
0: I love them. Uh, I've they're never delightful. Met them. They're never wonderful met them, people, but I love them. I w- like right before Liverpool, they tweeted. They tweeted the. Um, I think it was them. that They tweeted the amount of money it was going to take them to get from Australia to Liverpool, and then they were like, "This better be good because we're never spending this much money on a Eurovision ever again." <laughs> and I was like, "That's refreshing honesty. That's yeah. honesty." <laughs> yep. So Mike has his in with nerdiness, right? Like that's the the into Eurovision is being a nerd.
2: Yeah. Yes. I think particularly as an American, if you're going to get into this, you're going to get into it because of like some weird inroad. Because like one of my inroads to it was was just terrible movies and and Mystery Science Theater 3000, the show, the show that features terrible movies. Because wow, one of my favorite movies that's so bad it's good. We have talked about it on the show. It's from our first season, so it's it the the audio quality is a little bit rough. Uh, but we talk about one of my favorite like ter- so bad it's good movies, The Apple. It's this movie from 1980 where uh. Essentially, it is, is filmed in 1979, 1980. It is set in the far off future of 1994. Uh, Disco has not died. Uh, and like there is like the opening scenes are at the World Division Song Contest 1994. And like at some point, like either like someone writing the movie up or the Wikipedia page was like, this is clearly an analog of the Eurovision Song Contest. I was like, what is that? Uh, Wait, I'm sorry. The- I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on. We're burying the lead. You're <laughs> yes. telling me that MST3K. Mm <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Got you into Eurovision.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, well, this movie this movie has not been on MST3K, but yeah, no. No, I get
0: it. I get it. Oh, okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay, sorry. I thought the movie had been in MST3K. No, you, they no. No, I am enough of a Eurovision. Mystery Science Theater
2: fan that I seek out other terrible movies to watch without commentary.
0: Oh, I do that. You, I watched a Joan Crawford movie the other night. This is way more information than you need.
2: I think Mike nailed it, that, like, if you have some sort of nerdery, there is probably an angle for... To get you into Eurovision through it,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, fine. I will not lump Eurovision in with other things that you know I love that are widely not accepted, like the Choco Taco.
2: Wait, wait. Did we did we cancel the Choco <laughs> Taco? This is new. This is news to me. It what was, did,
0: what, yeah. It got canceled. I think. Oh no. Or maybe what, maybe what, the lovers what, of the Choco. But you know, it's like a, it's like a thing that <laughs> it's like a thing that otherwise shouldn't exist. You know, but it does, the, and the world is better for it. I remember you, you two from Eurostream. That's what I remember from the pandemic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that popped up during yep, our talk. No.
0: <laughs> Did it? Well, well, I didn't see it in the slide deck. I didn't oh, see no, it in the slide deck. Oh no, it's definitely in the slide deck because oh, I, no. I, had to, I had
2: to like rewatch our hosting of the of the second semifinal, not the second semifinal, of like the the allocation draw for the second semifinal. Oh, I remember to, that. Fi- to find a good screenshot. <laughs> Where, where you, where it's as as much as possible, it is not visible that we are like a month and a half into the pandemic, and sanity is wearing thin. It's wild
1: to think that that was only sanity. a month and a half in.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like, oh yeah, no, just like the timeline of like, well, surely I had, yeah, surely I lost my mind further into the pandemic. No, immediately, just.
0: So, Mike, explain what Eurostream was. And, you know, you were not single handedly. It was a group effort. So I should say that nobody was single handedly responsible for Eurostream, but it was I thought it was a great success. But tell us. Oh, about Yes. It.
1: So i uh, it was uh, Song Festival BE, uh, the same group that uh, puts on the uh, Eurovision uh, Fashion Award and the ESC Top 250 uh, for uh, New Year's Eve. One of the kind of fan efforts and a number of sites were doing similar sort of things where it was running a version of the 2020 contest as if it were still proceeding. So there were uh, semifinals that were held and uh, 10 countries advanced from each of those semifinals and they uh, were auto qualifiers were added into that mix. And then uh, the final event had 26 songs competing And, yeah, they facilitated a fan vote. Uh, They compiled a jury of music experts from uh, various countries. And, yeah, it was just an online version of recreating the contest. And this one was a major multimedia effort. Uh, There were a number of podcasts involved. 12 Points and Aussie Vision were both involved with the allocation draws. They helped out with the hosting, And yeah, it it was a massive group effort. And it was also, it was something to do during the pandemic. Like, (laughs) yeah, it was something to do. We all
2: need something to do. And
0: yeah, I mean, I thought it was really, it was really warm at the time to have a thing that should have happened happening, even if like we were going to, somebody was going to do it. We were going to do it, even if it, you know, all the fans were going to get together, even if it didn't happen, we were going to make it happen. It was very, it was very plucky and optimistic and idealistic. And, and yeah,
1: it was yeah. great. And I mean, it, it's also an uh, another opportunity to debate about like, oh, I think this one's going to win. No, I think this one's going to win. This one's my favorite. Like I'm giving this one 12 points and like all this. So like you still get a lot of the gaming aspect, I guess, of any Eurovision yeah year. Just,
2: so. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean I liked when the countries had to call in their points and of course they had you, had you had to find somebody with that accent to call in and say you know whatever London calling you know these are our points or whatever yeah like uh and you know but they were doing it like from their room mm-hmm. closet or like their shower and so you could see that in the background it was really delightful I loved it fun fact a uh, friend of the show uh, Richard Di Dominici he did something similar in Britain, only people made up their own songs, you know, so they didn't, he didn't use the the songs and it got added to like the British version of the Library of Congress. Like as a, yeah, they're not messing around. Like, um, so I don't know, I don't know what entity needs to save Eurostream as a, you know, speaking of time, just like a time capsule of that time. But I urge you to, you know, preserve it somewhere in all of its glory. Do either of you think that there's like a special thing to the fan experience of going to Eurovision in person, say over something like Glastonbury or, or a different, is that a special experience? Or is it just like a big experience? Is it like any other big music event? Or is there something special about going to Eurovision in person? Because I know, I know Mike went last year, Ben went this year, if I'm not mistaken. And um, what makes it
1: worth going in person? I mean I think for me uh I mean it's it's a little I think I maybe a slightly special case because my honeymoon was uh going to Eurovision so it was like doubly yes. special um but I think part of it is like since it is a TV show there is that kind of star struck aspect to it that I think I think makes it different or like yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it, but uh, the the first Eurovision that I went to was the twenty seventeen contest in Kyiv. and we were at both of the semifinals and the grand final. And in the first semifinal, when you say we, sorry, I'm getting nosy. Do you mean you and your partner, so that like then you
0: had your honeymoon at Eurovision because you you know been to multiple Eurovisions and it was meaningful.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that. Th- I think that one is the most meaningful to me, and that was the first Eurovision that I had been okay. to, and uh, yeah. And you went with your current yes. partner.
0: I'm being nosy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fine,
1: okay, yeah. Fine. Yeah. fine. And uh, yeah, and it, it, it started out as just being kind of a lark, where it was just like, okay, Ukraine won in 2016, it's like should we try to go next year? And we we weren't married at this point, uh. but it was like, yeah, like, I guess we could at least try and see if it's like, if it's possible. Cause I think that's something that does get lost. Like, I think uh, people do not realize that, yeah, you could go to this thing. And I like, I think that's something that sometimes gets lost in TV, particularly in American TV. Since like, if you want to go see a TV show, it's like, oh, well, I've got to go to Los Angeles or New York, wherever it's being filmed. And like, if you're, not in either of those places i don't think it's front of mind that you can actually like go see a tv show uh whereas with eurovision i mean, part of it is it's this traveling road show in a way and like the audience is part of the presentation of the show so yeah i I think that adds to the specialness of it but uh but yeah, like at, at that first semifinal, Armenia was competing and I had watched Armenia's selection process. They had a long form, uh, like eight week show uh, selecting their contestant and watching it every week, seeing Artsvik like, advancing through the competition. And uh, the way that they had the pit area set up, like there's the fan zone area in front of the stage. And then behind that area was the green room. So Stages to the front, green room is behind you, and you turn around and be like, "Oh, all the contestants are there!" And like, I saw Artsvik there because Armenia was in like the first row of the green room tables, and like, it's just this total starstruck feeling of just like, "Wait, I saw her on TV, and she's like just twenty feet away from me!" (laughs) And it's just like, it's just so yeah. There is
0: that fan accessibility, isn't? I think
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that is sort of what separates. Going to Eurovision for me from like just you mentioned Glastonbury's like you can have like really special moments at Glastonbury because like Elton John just played was like one of his last shows, if not his last show at Glastonbury a couple days ago as we're taping.
0: Yeah. Dave Grohl performed to some other band and took the train there.
2: Oh, yeah. No, like uh, Rick Astley did a set uh, with some other band performing The Smiths for an hour, which like, please uh, (laughs) bring it to the States. I will be there with bells on. I am.
0: Yeah, the just world like, needs that, more that of that. That is like,
2: I'm in the middle of this Venn diagram. But Eurovision also has, like, what the, the also lights up the part of my brain that's, that's just like, I'm seeing how TV's made. Of, this of, this
0: is what you two bring me. You bring me nerdery and TV, and it's like a sporting event. Yeah. And I don't know, this is what I love. I love talking to people about yeah. Eurovision yeah. because everybody comes up with something different, yeah. you know?
2: Oh, yeah, no, just like there is a part of my brain that just wants to know how the sausage is made. That, so that when I get to see, like, a stage crew, uh in in 90 seconds get some like get armenia's staging for this year set up and just seeing like how things get loaded on and off like that just like again it's just like part of my brain is just very happy of just sort of seeing the the behind the scenes going oh this is how tv is made
0: yeah i definitely never have that impulse <laughs> i <laughs> like never i i definitely there's like a classist thing where I'm like, oh right, the OGAE people get the special standing only tickets with the flags. Like those are the special people. And the rest of us, there's like Eurovision has like what? Like in the in this actual venue, there's like super fans and super super fans. But there's nobody who's like, you know, your average person who bought like, yeah. So I don't know. There's that I have that feeling. This year was really uh, upsetting slash strange because, um, you know, my in-laws live in Manchester, which means we had, you know, free lodging. But we just immigrated from the United States, uh, from the UK to the United States. And it's been a tough year. And like economically, just affording three plane tickets to England this year was not going to happen, even though we got tickets to semi-final ones. Mm. You, know, you know, you need three things to go. You need, you know, your plane ticket, your venue, your, your venue, and the- your actual ticket to the venue and then the hotel. And we had two out of three and that was really upsetting but we ended up watching it with my neighbors who are he's a political science professor canadian french canadian and this whole year i've been saying oh you know there's this thing called eurovision and you <laughs> should really come because like french is really featured you know, he's a francophone and he's you know he's here now and um you know you've really got to come you've really got to come and at some point about a week out from Eurovision, I got this note saying, and, you know, we've got a projector. I bought like an 11 foot screen off of, off of Facebook marketplace. I mean, I was like really trying to make it as close to the real thing as possible. And I got this note about a week out saying, can we come to this Eurovision thing? Because we understand, we understand Lazara is is performing and, you know, she's French Canadian. And I was like, yes, you can. And yeah, absolutely you can. And, um, you know, he sat there for about 30 minutes and i was like and he brought his family i was like these four people are just gonna pick up sticks and leave like i don't know like what they're expecting but all right and um he got in he's like europe has a lot of diversity no and i was like yeah that's right And then he's like i think the thing that struck him which is the thing that i feel also is that like everybody's behind everybody Mm -hmm. like even with even with the the negative attitude, even to Romania this year. There's a lot of empathy in that direction. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of empathy for the people that are competing. You want everyone to do as well as they can. And you know, they can't because only one person can win. And yeah, I don't know. It just, there's a lot of things that make ESC unique, but yeah.
1: Yeah, Like in Turin last year, uh, it was at the second semifinal jury show. So the performance the night before and Cyprus was on and... I think it was pretty much accepted that Cyprus was probably not going to advance. But there was uh, somebody who was maybe seven or eight rows in front of where I was sitting. And while Cyprus was performing, they were living their best life. Like, you could you could tell that that was probably the reason why they made the trip to Turin. They wanted to see Ella performed yeah. live. And it really like opened my eyes just to be like, Oh yeah. Like every song is somebody's favorite song and it could finish in absolute last place in the contest, but somebody was a fan of that song. And I just think that's really cool.
2: <laughs> yeah. And like, especially under the roof of the arena, the people that are like, there's like a, you know, there's probably like a fair contingent where it's just like, okay, these are, these are locals who have gotten tickets to the thing that is in town, but like everybody else that's there is there because they like the contest and they are excited about everything they are about to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's maybe not the best metaphor, but I think about it as like, you know, when you were little and you could get into your, like, your grandma's box of stuff and, like, pull out weird things like ermine coats or whatever random stench, be like, oh, this is, you know this glorious thing. Exi- why does this glorious thing exist? You know, and then you can pull out another glorious thing, and and yeah, I mean, I like all that about Eurovision. Ben, how was how was Liverpool? Tell us about Liverpool. I know about Turin because I was there. I, I saw Mike. It was yeah, I was I no, was just, underwhelmed. I'm not gonna in, lie.
2: In chatting <laughs> with Turin people who you. have been to <laughs> far more of these things than than I have oh. been to, is like I. Apparently picked like a very good year to start to go to go to Eurovision for the first time when the various bids were being put together by the various UK cities like Liverpool was just like we are doing all of these. We are doing all of these things We are letting we are just sort of letting this run rampant in our city. And like it's the sort of thing like when you're when you're pitching a city for a major event. Of course, you say that you're going to do all these cool things. And then once you get the bid, you actually evaluate what you can do with them. But like Liverpool did everything they said they were going to do. Is like for the two weeks this came to town is like, yes, everything was happening at sort of the there was all the stuff happening around the arena. But like down the road, you had the Eurovillage in full swing and like the Eurovillage had like a full wing that was just like, here is Ukrainian handicrafts and culture and food. And a uh, sauna. Was, I hear
0: there was a sauna.
2: Yes, that was just like that Finland. Just oh, sorry, just, just Finland popped. brought a sauna. Yeah, yeah no, fine. no, just like that just popped up Monday morning of Eurovision week, just like just like walking to the press I was like, oh. Oh, that, that's that's the thing that's here. But no, just like for like the contest itself, like the visit Liverpool website, like there was like a full app of just like here are all of the things happening around town. Like these restaurants are doing a special are doing like a special menu item. All of the you know, these places are doing free art stuff, like just fully taking over the city.
0: My memory might be might be bad, but I think you were both thinking that Scotland was going to end up with Eurovision before the announcement would, would that be oh, yeah, fair like, to I, say i
2: think i yeah like i like i was rooting for scotland just because i would like to go to scotland
0: yeah me too
2: but like too. admittedly this is just like uh like you think of liverpool and you kind of think of the beatles because just it, within the music press like we can't we we love that specific skiff. Or Jerry
0: player. and the Pacemakers. Some people yeah. think of Jerry well, and the Pacemakers. like that's why. Maybe that's why. Know. Like
2: for one of our Patreon episodes last year, I was like, okay, like, but there's other Liverpool music stuff, and like, I thought they did a really good job of bringing that into things, particularly with the grand final and just like all of those covers.
0: Oh heck, I'm glad it's never going to be in Manchester because my, you know, my husband's from Manchester and he's like, the thing that happened in Manchester is Oasis, and I can live without like an Oasis, a very Oasis Eurovision, <laughs> right? I don't need to be singing Wonderwall, like I am. If that's the alternative if the Beatles are the alternative, like definitely take it. I know uh, to answer your question, Mike, yeah. no, absolutely not disappointed okay. with you. In fact, I've got impo- imposter <laughs> syndrome sitting here with you. I'm not gonna let that, know. Um, no. No, I've, I've told you, my son, because I listened to so much What at home, he thinks that you guys are the only people on the radio. He thinks that everyone on the radio is you two. And when he met Mike, he just like went into a corner and played with mud with a <laughs> stick or something. He couldn't take it. He was like five. He was like, yeah. Oh,
2: but yeah. It was like a fantastic experience this year. And again, like I was just trying to prioritize not being in the press center 24-7 just because that's not our show. It's just like there are plenty of other online fan-driven blogs and stuff where like what they want to do is they just want to live tweet everything from the press room, and that's cool. Uh that's not our show. And like I was just like, okay, who are all the people who I know who are going to be here who I've not seen? So like I prioritize getting to see uh our like one of the a person who's been on the show a couple times, dude, Point, great Eurovision vision, Twitter presence. Just like we went over to the tape modern for, for the morning and had a great time.
0: Oh, that is great. Uh,
2: met up with the Aussie vision guys. Uh We did kind of like, is like 12 points. And I just sort of the Sunday before everything was kicking off, sort of like a quiet day for everybody, like reached out to a bunch of the other podcasts we knew were in town. We're like, Hey, we're just going to be at a pub. Like come say hi, let's get a drink.
0: I mean, I find the, podcasting kind of like the community that's built up around reporting Eurovision to be kind of just as good as if not better than the the official journalism that air quotes journalism that like I would much rather read like the Greek OGAE posts in English than read BBC News about Eurovision. Hey Eurovision Song Context listeners for technical reasons we've had to split this episode into two. Carry on to part two to continue listening to my conversation with Mike and Ben.